Hi, welcome to Taz Two Cents, the show where we talk about finance, business, and achieving success. Today on the show, we have Chartman Dan. Dan is a co-founder of The Chart Guys, which is a great place for anyone to go. They're looking to learn about technical analysis or trading. Dan and I talk about technical analysis. We talk about cannabis. We talk about EUA futures, and we go over some of the psychological aspects of trading. Hope you enjoy the show. Welcome to Tabs Two Cents, the show for average Joe investors where we talk finance and how to achieve success. Dan, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Glad to be here. Yeah, so I just wanted to start the show. If you want to just introduce yourself, introduce what Chart Guys is and how you got started. Sure. So I am Charting Man Dan. I've been trading about 11 years, 11 and a half years at this point, and went through my journey of learning trading and started with the fundamental aspect of things, transitioned into the technical side. And then about six years into the trading journey, decided to start the company, the chart guys, after interacting in some chat rooms with people and, and really feeling the community aspect around trading and investing and sharing information. And so started this community and it, it blew up a lot bigger than we ever anticipated it would. And now it's, it's a home for learning technical analysis and trading. And we do live streams and we've got the courses and we post a bunch of YouTube videos for free. So a balance of paid content and free content. And just a whole bunch of, of learning and sharing information. Yeah. And when you say technical analysis, I wonder if you could sort of break that down for people and where it's best used, where you would recommend long-term, short-term kind of as a tool for people. Yeah, absolutely. So technical analysis is using charts. And if you see the charts with all the candlesticks on it and indicators, and I find that that's the best way to remove emotion from trading and investing, because as we know, money has such a strong tie to our emotions and it can influence our decisions and make us make bad decisions. And so I use technical analysis to get a little bit more analytical about things, emotionless about things and make my decisions. And there's a spectrum of, you know, fundamental investing and technical analysis. And I don't think it's a good place to be on either extreme end of the spectrum. There's always a mix. There's no right or wrong way. I'm maybe 80% technical in charts and 20% fundamentals. Someone else is 80% fundamentals and 20% technicals. I think the only wrong place to be on that spectrum is at the extremes. Otherwise, it's a blend of, of what fits the individual style. And for me, it just, it just added a lot of clarity in terms of being able to establish clear game plans and set clear stop levels and know exactly what my, my risk is for a trade. And it has gone well. And I, I will use technical analysis and charts for the rest of my life as long as I'm trading. Yeah. And when you're looking at the charts, when you're looking at technical analysis, I know a lot of it is the numbers and trends and volume. And then there is some aspects of the psychology behind what's happening with a stock. I wonder if you could talk a little bit about that. Yeah. So the, the charts themselves are, are depicting the price action. So we can see you know, what the price did on any given day and whether it's in an uptrend or a downtrend. But I also do agree that the charts depict human emotion because I can see extreme fear and extreme greed on that chart. And I know how the price action is impacting individuals and impacting their decisions. And so it's essentially trying to stay one step ahead of the herd where we don't want to be selling an extreme fear and we don't want to be buying an extreme greed and being able to see that on a chart and have historical examples to go off of is a really big advantage to ensure, again, that, that we're eliminating that emotional aspect from our decision making. And if I can look back at a chart and say, okay, well, the last time, you know, the RSI was this high and the RSI is an indicator that tells us relative strength or weakness. And, and for me, that's, again, a, a fear and greed indicator. 
could say the last time it hit up here, we topped out. So I'm not going to be buying up here. I know if anything, I'm going to be looking to take a little bit of profit off the table. And again, it's that historical aspect. We don't try and predict the future. And that's where a lot of people you know, who scoff at technical analysis and don't put any effort and time into it, they think, oh, you're trying to predict things and you can't predict what's going to happen. You don't know the news. I'm not trying to predict a thing. I am reacting. I'm reacting to what the information is telling me. And oftentimes, along with those historical examples, we can react and profit. Yeah, I really think that it's an important skill for people to have and not because you can predict the future because nobody can, but maybe you can give yourself sort of an idea of what might happen or is more likely to happen. And that's why we do our research. Um, When I see sometimes on CNBC or one of those news outlets, they have a fear and greed barometer or whatever they want to call it. And I have to assume that most of that is based on technical charts. Um, What kind of indicators do you think they're using and what are your favorite indicators? I would say the more advanced fear and greed indicators do take social media into account, but I don't think those are the the standard one on CNBC probably does not. Uh, I think that's an emerging tool, a new tool because, you know, Twitter was not an aspect of my trading when I started in the first bunch of years. And then, you know, now you got when Trump was tweeting and we would have significant reactions, it's just evolved to be a significant part of the game. And so I think tools will evolve with it. But really what it shows, again, the the simplest fear and greed indicator for me is RSI, the relative strength index. And most traders will use that. You know, some traders rely on it significantly. Some traders, it's just a small aspect of their their trading game plan. But essentially, it's a number that that reflects price and and a, a bunch of other little inputs. And again, it just helps us show, okay, the price has been running up extremely fast over a short period of time. Things are overextended. And perhaps the, the balance between supply and demand of shares, demand is far exceeding supply on the way up. And then maybe it's starting to balance out a little bit before we look for a pullback when supply, it's just a flip supply of shares then starts to outweigh demand. So I think that the relative strength index along with social media is a great way of gauging what the social, what the sentiment is of, of market participants. Yeah, that's really interesting. I've never actually considered my Twitter feed as a tool for fear and greed, but that's a really good point. I think that it's a necessary way for us to look at the environment we're in, especially because most Twitter feeds will be sort of designed to show you things you're interested in, which are generally what people are trading. Yeah, it's, it's, again, it's an evolving space. And over the last five years, you know, some people look at Twitter and say, oh, this is useless. Over the last five years, I have been curating my Twitter feed, following certain people, unfollowing certain people, and a ton of time and effort has gone into that to make it a useful tool. And I, I do get a lot of sentiment information. The way I view it is, is the analogy I give is there's a boat, you're on a boat, and if everybody's going to one side of the boat, if everybody's looking one way on a trade, the boat eventually flips and it gets too crowded of a trade. And you often see that, you know, it just happened with oil two days ago where, where or that was yesterday, but oil's going to $200 and, it, and it's, you know, not going to stop. And so everybody's bullish oil and then the boat flips and you dump 20% in one day or whatever it was. And that's, a, again, a good way to help gauge sentiment. The, the number one thing that'll make me uncomfortable with the trade and position that I have is if everybody's looking in the same direction. I want people on the other side. I want people telling me I'm wrong because if that's not the case, then it's a crowded trade. 
Yeah, for sure. And I think that that has a lot to do with price action and a lot more than people generally would recognize. Um, so you said you mentioned the RSI, which I think is interesting. And one thing that I follow very closely are EUAs, which are European Union allowances. And those are traded more or less as commodities. And there's a whole bunch of reasons why these assets can move up and down. But we just recently had a major bounce off an oversold RSI. So I wonder if you could give the viewers a little taste of what you do with that chart and maybe look for some indicators you typically look for on your trades. Sure thing. Let me pull it up real quick. Got them. Are you seeing my, my chart there? Yep. We got gotcha. you. So this, this is, you know, the first thing I do when I'm looking at a new instrument, I want to look back and say, okay, how long has it been trading? It's been trading for about 14 years. I can see it's been in a, a significant move up. I shift time frame. So right now I'm on the monthly time frame, which means every single candle represents one month of trading action. And whenever I'm analyzing something, I start zoomed out and I want the big picture. And then I zoom in from there and look at the details. So this is an example of a chart that is obviously it's been on a monster run and was extremely over, overbought to the upside. And generally when you get that kind of imbalance, you get what we refer to as a climax top where Again, it just happened with oil in the short term, but you get so extended in one direction that when the supply, when the, the scales tilt between supply and demand, it's fast and it's hard. And you get a very wide range and a significant amount of volatility. So I look at this monthly time frame and I can say, okay, we had a major run up. We've gone hundreds of percent in a short amount of time, but we also just topped out and dumped a very fast 40% plus. So from there, I zoom in, I can see the weekly time frame is okay. We were in a nice, strong uptrend. And again, the uptrend for me is just a representation of higher lows and higher highs. So there's our top. We set a higher low. We tighten up a little bit. We get one more bull break. And then the uptrend is lost when we lose those higher lows. And I also have some of these lines here. These are exponential moving averages. Those just help visualize trends as well as one of my tools. And we then had a solid bounce over the last couple of days. I think I'm missing today's action as I don't have the up to the minute data here, but we can see the last two days, we had a very significant bounce of, what was that? 20% plus. So just, just to go, or 30%. So just to go into a little bit, we have the RSI on the bottom here. And we can see the RSI generally when it gets above 70, it's considered overbought. And when it gets below 30, it's considered oversold. When you're in a blue sky breakout run, and when I say blue sky breakout, I mean something that it's all time highs. The overbought RSI is a lot less meaningful because there's a lot of power behind that and there's no previous price history. So it's a lot easier to run the price up. It's pretty much the, the extreme FOMO, fear of missing out. You know, everybody's bullish and it's just going. And if you're a bull, the best place to be in is blue sky breakout with zero price history. And you're entering essentially new price discovery. And so when you leave that strong uh, uptrend, first oversold conditions generally are good buying opportunities. Because if you're just thinking about the psychology of the setup, you have people watching this run saying, oh man, I don't want to chase up here. It's gone up so much so soon. And then the first big pullbacks, that's when people who have been on the sidelines are looking, okay, now I can make an entry. So first daily oversold conditions coming off of an all-time high is generally a good time to be looking for a solid bounce. And just looking at, at the example here, we hit a low of 55. We tried to get a bounce going. 
didn't get much follow through. And we came back and re revisited that support level. And we held it by a dollar and 50 cents. That's my kind of entry. That is what I call a bottom fishing play, where I'm looking for a play off of the previous support and have looking to have low risk and high reward. So obviously this is in hindsight at this point, but let's just say, you know, we see a big bounce. Okay, that is our low. 55 is a key short-term support. We fade back down towards it. Let's say I make an entry at 59 and then one more at 57, and I will exit if 55 breaks. Because if 55 breaks, that tells me a bottom has not been found. We're hitting fresh lows and there's still a lot of downward momentum. But so my risk would be, you know, my average in that example is 58. If we break 55, I'm going to lose $3 and $3 and change. And if, if we hold that level, obviously, we've seen a very significant bounce. So the reward possibility is much more significant than the risk. So if I continually, as a trader, position myself in setups that have a, a risk of, let's just say, one or two, and a reward that's multiple times more than that risk, two or four, then over time, if I am a good trader, it's going to lead to, you know, I don't, I don't, I, I lose all the time as a trader but my losses are a lot smaller than my wins. And so that's what keeps me a profitable trader. Yeah, I think that's amazing. And you know, what's really interesting to me about technical analysis is that I sent you a message over Reddit. I was like, hey, EUA futures, these are what I'm looking at. Do you mind looking at a chart? And then you pull it up and you can go over the entire history of this chart and the price action without really having any knowledge of why those movements happen. But you can still predict sometimes maybe it's more likely that we're not going to go under 55. And if we do, we should probably get out of there. Yeah. And, and with an instrument like this and the, and the market environment that we're in, you know, again, on that spectrum of fundamental and technical, if I'm normally over here, 80, 20, I definitely in this environment with commodities and how they're trading and the headlines and the reactions we're seeing to these headlines, I'm definitely moving down that spectrum. And I, I want to know what the news is for, for movements to be this volatile. And I'm not going to be making decisions based off that news, but I just want to be aware of, you know, what headlines are moving the market in which way. And it helps me, you know, an example of that would be just recently we had the Ukraine invasion and I was in a buy the news mindset and was, was talking about in, in a couple of YouTube videos leading up to it. If we get an official invasion, I'm looking to buy. Now, why would I be looking to buy an official invasion? Logic says, that's bad news, but you have news priced in where they tell us, you know, invasion's coming within 48 hours. These are the videos of the tanks. And they just continually price in the move. The market is always forward looking. And so if you get this steady stream of news to allow the market participants to position for a probability event, you can't completely price in the invasion is going to happen, but maybe you price in 80% of the invasion that's going to happen. So having that news outlook and watching the relationship between price and news also influenced his decisions and directions that I'm looking. So just an example would be, you know, I'm making this up, but if there were perceived bearish news coming for these futures contracts and we dump leading up to that news, and then once we get that news, it's been priced in and we bounce. And that's where a lot of newer traders and investors get really thrown off. Why, you know, why are we bouncing on, on the Ukraine invasion news and stocks are going up 5%, 10%. It doesn't make any sense. But once you start to understand the, the pricing in of information and probabilities of, of future events taking place that the market price is in, it makes a lot more sense. Yeah, I agree. That's something that 
I had to learn as well. And just recently I sent out a tweet where I said like with oil, it's obviously had a cataclysmic rise. And I sent out a tweet and I said, Hey, maybe this is a, you know, buy the rumor, sell the embargo type of deal. And then Biden comes out and says, yeah, we're not going to import any more Russian oil. And you know, the oil goes down. So, I mean, these things happen. And that brings me to a next question is a lot of people say that perhaps we're leading into a stage of the market where active could outperform passive because for the last, you know, 10, 20 years, you buy your index fund, you ride out these passive gains. Do you think that the news is becoming more relevant and perhaps that's why active traders active funds could perhaps outperform passive? I would say that the news is becoming more relevant. The price is definitely significantly impacted by it, but the swings in volatility are what allow active traders to outperform passive traders. If you're just slowly grinding up day by day, which we saw in periods of 2016, 2017, it's hard to outperform. But if you're going up 10% and down 8% and up 8%, That allows for, again, if I'm unbiased on the direction and I'm just taking it one day at a time, I personally am am, 90%, 95% a day trader. So I'm just looking to lock in the move and and not care what the market does overnight and then hit the the next day with a fresh, clean slate. And when you get this kind of volatility, it is a lot easier for a trader that is experienced and confident and and knows what they are doing to outperform the, the passive investors. And that's currently the market environment we're in with this very high volatility. Yeah. And do you typically go with options or stocks long, or do you go with a timeline or do you just go with the price? I trade stocks more than options. I played with options for a while, but I really didn't like being right about direction, but because my time frame was wrong, I would lose. And I really didn't like that aspect of things. So I am vast majority of the time I'm trading common shares, and I love oversold bounces. So, so that chart that we just looked at would be right up my alley. And it's just a style that I've developed where, you know, everybody is fearful and everybody is ready for everything to collapse. And I'm looking in the other direction. And it takes a lot of mental composure to be able to step in front of a speeding bear train and be buying to be looking for that bounce. And it definitely takes a lot of experience and a lot of practice to get that style down. But I, again, I just take it one day at a time and I love those oversold bounces, but in this current market environment, I definitely short a lot more as well. And it's just staying nimble and and trying to eliminate as much bias as possible. I can have a short-term bias and say, I think we're going to go in this direction. And if I'm wrong, I'll stop out and my loss will be limited, but it is, it's just a one day at a time thing for me in this current market environment. Yeah. That's interesting. You say that because I think a lot of people think technical analysis, oh, these guys are day traders or, you know, they're doing it on a short-term basis in and out, but it doesn't necessarily have to be a time frame. It can be a direction or a price, right? Yeah. And it's, it's also, you know, you can do both. I, I look to, I look for fear to establish long-term no-touch positions and did so during the COVID dump. It was my first long-term position of spy that I've ever had. And certainly that went well, but I wait for extreme fear to go into long-term IRA positions. And in the absence of extreme fear, I just go with day trading because there's always 
volatility somewhere. Whether you got the cryptocurrency space breaking out, you got the cannabis space breaking out. Now we got commodities breaking out. The metals are trying to break out. So there's always somewhere to go. And if we're nimble with our capital, and if we have eyes on the market, and trading's a team game. You know, I am not. I don't know anything about uranium, but I've got people that I'm trading with in our chat room that are experts in uranium. And so they saved me, you know, the time that I need to put in to be able to profit from some of these moves is a fraction of what it would be if I were on my own. And just having eyes all over the market and, and being, I love being cash. It makes me, you know, a lot less, it's also the, the mental capacity where I don't have to worry overnight what the market is doing. It doesn't matter to me what it's doing. And, and for me, that's, that's worth that's worth money to, to have that psychological ease that, that there's no stress, even when the market is dumping. Yeah, for sure. And it really is personal and everybody's going to have their own style and everybody's going to find what works for them. Me personally, I find that I'm more of a patient person. So I kind of tend to buy common shares and hold them long based on a macro perspective, which for good or bad, that's the way I think that it's going to work best for me. Um, actually wanted to bring something up since you mentioned cannabis, you, I started watching your videos probably back in 2015 or 2014 pre-cannabis boom. I remember, you know, Trudeau was coming out saying, yeah, we're going to legalize cannabis. And there was all this hype. And I, I was, you know, I remember kind of sitting on the couch watching your charts to sort of figure out what was going to happen. So when you talk about fear and you talk about sentiment, when I go on Reddit, when I go in any of these weed stocks, our weed stocks, you know, I don't think I see a place with a lower sentiment and a more fear than cannabis. So I wonder if we could just talk a little bit about cannabis. Sure thing. So it is that sector. And again, crypto's done the same thing where it's where it's so high risk, high reward, it's so new. There's there's a ton of political and legal hurdles and aspects in play it leads to these absolutely massive swings in sentiment where you get maximum euphoria and huge runs and huge gains and then absolute pits of despair. I mean, crypto in 2017, 2018 dropped 85%. And right now cannabis is dropping 65 plus percent and it's following the same trajectory. Like why would crypto and, and cannabis be doing the same thing? Because they're as high risk, high reward as you can get. They're extremely speculatory. I don't know if that's a word, but uh, they are. There's a ton of speculation, and the swings represent the massive amount of of emotional traders that are in the space. You know, before you get all these institutions, you know, you have institutions right now holding Apple with however many billions or trillions of dollars. They're keeping that market a lot more stable. And if you don't have institutions in play, then there's a lot more volatility. So the cannabis space was, was great for gains. And that was a perfect example of, of the news. I, I sold, you know, I, I didn't stand out for making significant gains in Canadian cannabis. I stood out because I kept those gains. And I sold leading up to the first day of sales because we could see the euphoria is massive. The charts are running extremely overbought. I don't have the mindset, what's it going to be in five years? I have the mindset, what's it going to be in two weeks? And we could see that it was leading up to a sell the news event. Again, the market knew that day of sales was coming. It priced it in completely. And then the day this or the day before the sales happened, it marked the top. And that was not a coincidence. We could see it was shaping up to be a sell the news event. And again, it was just experience. I don't want to 
You know, in this interview, I don't want to come off like this is easy. I've put in over 10,000 hours. If you put in 10,000 hours to anything, you're going to get good at it. So it is an immense amount of time and effort and experience and lessons and losses and learning from those lessons. And I was trading at that point in time for seven years. So I was, I had seen these cycles play out before in, in cannabis penny stocks in the U.S., from years prior. So I, I knew what to be looking for. I learned my lessons early on and I learned from them to not repeat them when I had more significant capital on the line. And that was a major aspect of being able to, to do well in the Canadian cannabis space and not get destroyed as it has completely dumped. So as far as sentiment is concerned, you're right. It is bottom of the barrel destroyed. And what I anticipate we will see is once the broader market finds a bottom, because you're not going to see cannabis, you know, you're not going to see the highest risk and reward assets bottom if people are still concerned about buying Apple and Amazon. You have to see the broader market bottom and show some confidence. And then that confidence seeps out into other sectors. So we will look for cannabis to be a laggard bull, a laggard bouncer once the broader market has established, okay, our bottom is probably in for now. And we obviously don't know when that's going to happen. It's one day at a time at this point. But I'll be looking for a laggard bounce once the broader market gains some confidence. Yeah, and I've noticed in your videos, you're big on correlations. So for example, I think, you know, HMMJ or whichever ETF you like to look at, you compare it with the Russell 2000. Um, how do you look for correlations? Um, how do you start looking for those? Because I know for me with EUAs, they kind of move around with energy oil and natural gas, but it's really hard to determine exactly how they play on each other because there's so much there's so much noise out there. So what do you look for when you look for a correlation? So again, it's time. If I'm looking at the screen and I've got them both pulled up and I'm watching on the short-term time frame, if the five-minute charts are doing the same thing tick for tick, that shows me there's a significant correlation. If I can't put in that time, I can look back at a chart and I can overlay them and see, are the price movements doing roughly the same thing at the same time? Are they dropping together? Are they finding bottoms, you know, five, 10 minutes apart from each other? And the more that happens, the stronger the correlation is. And it's also in an environment where you have less volume offsetting bots and algos. So we know there's automated trading out there. And in the absence of significant retail volume coming in, those bots and algos rule the, the volume and the price action. And so if, if it's a if retail has a lower impact, you know, you can offset those bots if there's news and retail piles in, but in the absence of that, you see the, the tick for tick correlation. And it was almost like when cannabis, when Canadian cannabis uplisted, that's when those correlations really strengthened. And when Canopy went to the, I forget they're on the NASDAQ or NYSE, but the uplisting it is when it started. And for me, it's just because there's a lot more automated trading systems on those higher exchanges. And so that strengthens those correlations when those uplistings happen. Yeah, it's hard to compete with the bots, but there is the old saying, if you can't beat them, join them. And with bots nowadays, they take in more, they consider more factors than just technical. Because I do think that they go in and they look at news and sentiment in social media as well. What do you know about that? Absolutely. It's an evolving game and you either evolve or you die because it is the way technology has changed. Again, just my example of, I used to not use Twitter at all. And now it is a key aspect of my trading because the price 
significant. I mean, tweets move trillions of dollars and that is obviously very significant and it's going to continue to change. And, you know, you have the example of, I forget exactly what it was, but the amount of millions of dollars that they put in to put the, the, the communications line under the ocean. So, so that the trading firm could get, you know, data point, one milliseconds faster to be able to react to it. That's a very rough example of, of what happened somewhere. I'm not doing a good job of giving specifics on it, but it's a it's an automated world. And like you said, if you can't beat them, join them. I view it, you know, someone says to me, you can't, how can you beat the market? There's there's people with so much money. I'm not, I'm trying, I can ride their coattails. You know, big money's running something one way. I ride the coattails, I'll pick up the crumbs and I'll get my piece of the pie while they get the big piece of the pie. But that's all I'm looking to do. Yeah, it's really interesting. I had a guest on, and we talked about the gaming industry, Jason Willis. And he works for a business, Big Blue Bubble, who develops apps. And something that he said with marketing was, you can save a lot of time and effort if you just do what the big guys are doing. Like, for example, you look at a app and there's a certain picture and they have their mouth open or something like that. You know, and then you just do that with your guy and you're going to get more clicks without all the analysis. And I think stocks are a similar way. If you can kind of figure out what the algos are going to do, then maybe you can just join them. Yeah, definitely. And yes, I, I am certainly as a content creator aware of the, the change in YouTube thumbnails and the faces. Oh, that was so difficult where it's like, where it's like, if you, if I do that, I will get more views. It's, it's a clear, if I put a big red fear headline, I will get 30% more views than if I don't, but I feel so dirty and gross doing it. So it's this constant balance of like, well, you're going to underperform and your competitors are going to outperform you because they're willing to do it. And if you don't want to do it, you're going to be punished. And it's, it's a shame that that's the way it is, but it's just part of the social media game. Yeah. And there's a reason for all of that stuff behind the scenes. Everybody's doing their own analysis and figuring out what the best thumbnail or whatever is. Um, just moving on from that, there is there is more to trading than just the numbers and the technical side. There's also the psychological side. I know you have more of a background in that with emotional intelligence and those kind of things. What, what are some of the things that you do or some recommendations for other people to kind of keep their emotions in check? Yeah, absolutely. So I recently just put out a video this past weekend on our YouTube channel, and we're just the chart guys on YouTube, but it was about trader psychology. And I went over the books in my, as I was, you know, growing up in my, my 20s, essentially, that were, had nothing to do with trading, that I was not reading with the trading in mind, but absolutely laid the foundational groundwork of emotional control, which is essential for trading. Because again, when money is in play, emotions are very high. And we have to rewire our brains to be able to, to capitalize on certain, certain situations. And so for me, it's a lot of balance where I am not your typical trader in the sense that I like farming and I'm constantly outside and I'm a bit of a hippie. And, and so for me, it's always balance where I get off the screen and if I need to clear my mind, I go out into nature and I hike and I go into the woods and I put things into perspective. And I view the market as a video game of flashing numbers. And I know a lot of fundamental people view it as, okay, Apple's got these many assets and this many stores and they've got these phones on the shelves. And if I'm buying these digital numbers in my account, I have a piece of those things. For me, it's just, it's just all a video game. And I keep that in perspective and it helps me stay grounded and it helps me from getting overly attached to what happens in this video game. Because again, when you zoom out, 
There are so many more important things in life than these flashing numbers on a screen. And big picture, you know, this doesn't matter. I think about society 500 years from now, and they're going to potentially look back at this and think of what, what a joke this all was. People put this much time and effort and this much stress about this thing. You know, it's, just, it's like thinking back to, to pre-civilization where some dude somewhere was really stressing about his collection of rocks that were used as money back then. And some people died over these rocks and killed other people, people over these little rocks. And I think that the stock market is just a version of that. So it's very important for me to stay balanced. And this is a tool for me to accrue capital. And I use capital to distribute into my community or to do things that I want to do in life. And that's the, the simple relationship that I have with this game. Absolutely. I think for me, it's really important to invest what you can afford to lose because that way, if you do start losing your money, if the stock does go down or the trade doesn't go your way, you know, you're not going to lose your house on it. Yeah, that's, that's important. And, and anything that I have that's long-term no touch, like the spy position I mentioned, I got some crypto that's been long-term no touch. When I account for my net worth or I do you know, my, my financial statements, I account for those as zero because if I'm willing to hold them no matter what, I'm willing to hold them if they go to zero. So if I write them off as zero right out of the gate, it is very psychologically relieving to, to just know that it's likely going to be more than zero, which is a bonus. So that, like you say, you know, what you only put in what you can afford to lose. And as soon as you put something in, just psychologically put yourself in the place that, okay, that's gone. Anytime I enter a trade and I put my stop loss in, I'm already accounting for worst case scenario. And I'm already putting myself in the, in the position. Okay. I stopped out and I now have this much money left. And I come to terms with that before I even ever enter the trade which again, eliminates emotions from the equation. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, I just wanted to say, I really appreciate you coming on and that analysis with the EUAs was awesome. And you know, maybe someday I'll get to the point where I can just do that in five minutes, but I'm definitely far from that now. I wanted to give you the opportunity to promote the chart guys. Uh, just let everybody know if they enjoyed this content, where they can go to find you and what kind of services you offer. Sure, so I am by no means a salesman, but. Uh, our YouTube channel is the number one place to go just because at this point we've put out, you know, 9,000 videos over the last seven years, tons of free content. And that's the first place to go. And if you want to really dive in deeper, we've got the courses, we've got, you know, the chat room with, with a thousand plus traders, and we got all the different sectors and, and a ton of eyes on the market. So if you're looking to take it to the next level, we again, have the, the paid content for that. But if you're looking to just dip your toes in, we got a free technical analysis course that, that shows you the basics of, of what we do and how we use the candlesticks, a bunch of emotional and psychological videos and things like that. So really chart guys on YouTube would be the first place to check out. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for coming on. I really appreciate it. Um, my YouTube channel does not have 9,000 videos, <laughs> but I'm working <laughs> on it. And, uh, you know, just these things take time. So yeah, I really appreciate you coming on, supporting a small YouTuber like myself. And uh, hope you have a great day. Looks like you got some turkeys walking around there. I can see in the in the door. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they are. Uh, they're all over. I appreciate you having me, and I look forward to watching your YouTube channel grow. Yeah, man. Thanks a lot. Have a good day. Joe is not a financial advisor and may have interest in the stocks discussed on the show. So do not take any information included within this podcast as a recommendation or formal advice. Thank you. Uh, 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 uh,